We're in a series of messages titled Unstoppable, talking about the church, the unstoppable nature of the church. And today we're going to talk, here's the title of the message. I don't normally talk much about the titles, but I'm going to today. No good deed goes unpunished. Okay. No good deed goes unpunished. And a godly response to that. Well, what might I, what might I mean? What am I referring to? Well, that phrase is not all that, you know, uncommon, uh, but it is something that, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. Got to remember. We sent a team away yesterday to Royal Family. So we got a whole bunch of our, our folks at Royal Family. So would you do me a favor and pray for them this week? Okay. Make sure that you're praying for our Royal Family team. Okay. Got it. Amen. All right. Good. No deed goes unpunished. Well, what is, what is am I, what am I talking about? Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, when I, I had the privilege of having a swimming pool, I loved cleaning the pool. Now, not when it was turned into the place where the creature from the Black Lagoon could live. That happened a couple of times when the pH balance got all messed up and my pool went, it, I don't know what color it was, but it wasn't the color it was supposed to be. I didn't enjoy cleaning it then, I did, not at all. But most of the time I did. I just loved to get out there with the, and I'd like to sweep it and keep it clean and all this, and just no big deal. It was relaxing to me. Well, I would do this, and I found a honeybee. I don't want a honeybee to drown in my pool. So I helped the honeybee out, and the honeybee stung me. And I'm literally, like, what was that all about? You know, I'm I'm doing you a favor, and I get stung in the process. What's that all about? Well, another one. One of our staff members in the church we were serving asked Marcy and me if we would be so kind as to watch their dog over a weekend. We said, sure, no problem. So we inherited Hershey for the weekend. Hershey was a little dark brown curly something. I don't know what, I don't know what Hershey was, but Hershey was energetic, fun, and we thought, ah, no big deal. Well, when Hershey came into the house, the first thing that Hershey did was terrorize our cat. Our cat, I'm sure, went to his grave with PTSD because of that weekend with Hershey. Hershey literally displaced poor Rocky from everything. Well, so you get up in the morning, you know, it's nice and early. I'm getting up in the morning and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Hershey outside so Hershey can take care of Hershey's business outside. So we get to the door and he takes care of his business inside by the door before he ever goes outside. No good deed goes unpunished. Okay. Well, okay, what is it all about? When we look at the passages of scripture we've been dealing with, we've, we've, looked at the out, we've looked at all kinds of good things, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and out of that, 3,000 folks come to Christ. And then the church really begins to uh, figure out how to uh, walk with these 3,000 uh, new believers. And then Peter and John, one day they're going to the temple, and there is a man who's crippled from birth. And they, they, they pray over him, and he's immediately healed. He's beginning to leap and praise God and all kinds of good things are happening. Well, out of those good things, some other things begin to happen as well. And as what we see is that no good deed really goes unpunished. And it's important to understand that when, when this man is healed, it creates something in those who observe the healing. And in fact, what, what begins that day at the Gate Beautiful was persecution. And when you read through the book of Acts, here's what you're going to discover. From this point forward, there's only three chapters out of the 28. So there's, we're already in chapter four. Only three chapters do not discuss persecution in some aspect from this point forward. 
It becomes the regular life of the church. And then it begins a wave of persecution that exists for about 300 years until the Roman emperor Diocletian. Diocletian was, uh, here, here's what was written about Diocletian. And in fact, I want you to look at this picture. It's, such a, it's a good picture. It's, the picture is called the prayer of the martyrs or the martyr's prayer. And this is what would have been experienced about the time that Diocletian was the emperor. But here's, here's what you need to understand. His persecution is considered the most pervasive persecution in, the Roman, in Roman history. If anybody did persecution well, he did. And it was, a, it was a tragic and difficult time. But understand what scripture tells us. Scripture tells us in John 15, Jesus said, since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. Paul amplifies that thought in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yes, and everyone who wants to get up, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Diocletian was doing this incredible persecution against the church. But in the very same article, this is what is written about him. The persecution failed to check the rise of the church. No matter what he did and no matter what any other emperor did, it did not stop the church from being built by Jesus Christ. But what happened in Acts chapter 4 continues to this day. Jesus said that it would happen. Paul said, this is what's going to happen. This is the natural response. It's going to be a part of your life of faith. Listen to this. There's, a, there's an organization called Open Doors. And they, they look at these kinds of things that are happening around the world as respective to the church, with respect to the church. They put together what is called an annual watch list. And they created in this watch list the top 50 countries in the world that persecute followers of Christ. The top of that list is North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, India, and Syria. When the World Watch List takes a look at this, this is what they said. They do not give much hope for the persecuted communities. Indeed, it presents a grim picture of the situation of Christians globally, making it very clear that the persecution encountered by them continues to get worse. The report identifies in 2020, 260 million Christians are at risk of high, very high, or extreme levels of persecution. What began in Acts chapter 4 continues to this day. A quarter of a billion people who are brothers and sisters in Christ today are experiencing persecution simply because they name Jesus Christ the Savior. Just because of that. Just because they live a life of faith, there's pushback. There's pushback. What we face in America I would say it might not be, con it's probably considered more an inconvenience than it is persecution. Think about it. An inconvenience. We, we might be laughed at because we go to church on a weekend. We, we might be called silly names. We might end up being canceled. But make no mistake, even though you and I may not be experiencing persecution, it's happening. And we need, to be under, we need to understand that those around the world who name Christ as Savior are finding it difficult to follow Christ. But Jesus said, I'll build my church. I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Remember this. Remember this. While no good deed goes unpunished, 
there is a godly response. And God remains at work accomplishing his will for his glory and for our good. And that's what I hope today we can walk away understanding that when there is pushback in our faith, there is a, there is a godly response. There's a godly way to respond to this. And, I, and I, I believe that living out our faith in 2021 may not include, it may not include being canceled by our friends, but it might. It, it may not create conflict at your work, but it might. It, it may not build a wedge in your family, but it might. And if any or all of these things happen because we are living out our faith, how do we respond? When we are seemingly punished, hear this, when we are seemingly punished for our stand for right living, for advocating for the unborn, for saying we will not participate in an ungodly culture. By the way, those are good things. Those are good things. They're good deeds, but what do we do? What's our response? I want to give you three things this morning from Acts chapter four. First is this. We need to remain true to the message. I mean, true to the message. Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So understand what's happened just briefly. So 3,000 have come to faith. So about 3,120 or so, including the 120 in the upper room. And now, after these weeks have happened in this miracle, now it's up to 5,000. Another 1,880 have come. These are just men, by the way. They just numbered the men. That's just how they did counting. You, you could be upwards of 10 to 15,000 at this point. We have no more or more. So the next day... The rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other members of the priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, I don't claim to know a whole lot about marketing. I know a little bit, probably a little bit is the best way to say it. But here's what I know. In marketing, it's really important to stay true to your message. Let me give you a couple of just crazy examples. Jerome's. Jerome's sells furniture. They do not sell auto parts. Do not go to Jerome's and say, I need to get X for my car. Not there. DCH, what do they do? They have 17 auto dealerships here in Southern California. They do not sell solar panels. They sell cars. And one more, Chick-fil-A is not a burger joint. They sell chicken. Okay, that's what it is. There's a messaging. There's a consistency to this. So when I go to Chick-fil-A, I know what I'm going there for. I'm going there for chicken nuggets and a side salad and a large lemonade. That's what I'm getting. Okay, that's what I'm getting. That's why I'm, I'm not going to go get a burger. If I'm going to go get a burger, I'm going to go to In-N-Out. Or I'm going to go to Freddy's Steak Burgers. And don't get me started. Okay, don't get me started. Understand, they remain consistent in their messaging, their messaging. And we see this over and over again in the apostles' interactions with the people. They continue to preach Jesus. 
They preach his resurrection. They lay the blame where the blame needs to be laid, and they are consistent with it, and they do not stop. You'll recall that this 40, there's this 40-year-old man who's been healed. And while Peter and John, okay, that's where it starts. While Peter and John are still speaking, that's important. Some, some of these individuals come up to them, here's the words, greatly disturbed. It was not so much about the healing of the man as it was what they were saying. They were staying true to a message. And because that message offended those who came up, there was pushback. You say, well, who are these guys? What, what right do they have to be offended or upset? Or, well, let's give you a little bit of background. Sadducees is one of the groups. The Sadducees were wealthy aristocrats. They, they profited from the sacrificial system that was in the temple. Remember when Jesus cleansed the temple and he turned over the tables of the money changers? That affected their pocketbook. Bottom line, because they were charging exorbitant amounts for animals to be sacrificed and everybody who came to Jerusalem had to buy their sacrificial animals from them. Why do you think they were mad at Jesus? It hit their pocketbook. They didn't like that. And now... The apostles are filling Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. The person they thought they'd gotten rid of, he showed up again. They're ticked off. It's hitting, it's get, if this is going to affect our pocketbooks, boys, we got to get this stopped now. We're not going to have anything of it. Well, the second group's priests. The priests were charged with the worship in Israel, and they had been some of Jesus' most ardent enemies. They fought Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. And so they're right in the thick of it again. When the name of Jesus is proclaimed, when the message stays true, the enemies come out. And so the third group is the captain of the temple guard. This is a second to the high priest in authority. So these are powerful individuals. And then you move on down and you find out that in the, those individuals by the name of Annas and Caiaphas, you might recognize those names, they were instrumental in the crucifixion of Jesus, so the condemnation and crucifixion of Jesus. But then you also read about John and Alexander and the family of Annas. Now, why is that significant? The high priest position was the number one position in Israel. It was a politically appointed position at this point in history. Annas had been the high priest from 6 to 14 AD, but five of, his, five of his family members, five of his sons also held that same office, and now Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was in that office. This was the family business. And to let Jesus and anybody who knew Jesus interfere with the family business, wait a minute, we got to stop this from moving forward. So think about it. It's this group of people that take Peter and John and maybe even the, the man who was healed and send them and take them to jail. And it was all because of their messaging. It was their messaging. They were greatly disturbed. They were annoyed. They were put off by what had been said. It was that they were teaching that Jesus was alive. Hear this. God outwitted the Jewish rulers through Jesus' victory over death. That was their message. And these guys weren't having any of it, so they throw him in jail. And I can't help but wonder, what went through their minds when they spend the night in jail? Think about it for a minute. What went through their minds? Well, this is it. They did it to Jesus. Probably going to do it to us too. Had that all night long. Had that all night long. I wonder even if they got to the place where they say, you know, Maybe tomorrow, 
we just change the message a little bit. We just, you know, we don't have to be as bold. We don't, you know, we don't have to be as forthright about this. We can just change it a little bit. I wonder if that went through their minds. You see, they stay true to their message, and we'll see that in a moment. And it's important for us to stay true to our message. It is Jesus who has saved you. He is the one who has transformed your life. It is because that Jesus is alive that you and I have life abundant and life eternal. And it is important to know that when we stand up for that which is righteous, there will be pushback. But do not be tempted to change your message. Stay true to the message of Jesus because that's the message of life. That's the message of life. It transformed us. Keep telling your story of what Jesus did in you and continues to do. 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. If Paul says, if Christ had not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless. Let me just stop for a second. We look at that verse and we say, well, that's really not for me. Let me change it for just a moment. If Christ has not been raised, then all of my story of what Christ has done in me is useless. No, it's not. No, it's not. Keep true to your, stay true to your message and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are, to be, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Yep, no deed goes unpunished, but there is a godly response. Remain true to your message. Second is stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called account to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Now, this, I, I just love this interaction. Now, now, put it into perspective. They've spent the night in jail. Okay, they've spent the night in jail. So they could have had those tempting thoughts. Should we change the message? Should we temper this a little bit? Should we be a little bit, here's a word for you. Could we be just a little more diplomatic? Could we, could we say this in a way that won't maybe be offensive? Because we don't really want to get canceled by any of our friends. Okay. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, here it comes, then know this. You and all the people in Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, they didn't temper the message, did they? 
Okay, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you would feel intimidated by the, the audience that you are in the, midst, in the midst of. For example, maybe, now I've been in, I've been, this sound, I did this this morning for service and I didn't realize what it sounded like until after I did it. Uh, but over, here's the way I'm gonna preface this, over the last 45 years or so, I found myself in these kinds of situations. I've been in a grand jury. I've had to testify in a grand jury. That's intimidating. When you have all these people sitting around this table and you're testifying in a grand jury, that's intimidating. I've been on the witness stand in a variety, in a couple of different occasions. That's intimidating. I'm telling you, it's just something there. And then I've been, had to, I've been in deposition. So that's intimidating. I'm telling you, there's something that happens in those intimidating situations. And you want to make sure that what you say is absolutely true. You're not exaggerating, you're, but you're being bold. You're, you, okay, think about what these guys are facing. They're sitting in front of 71 men who control their future. The high priest and 70 elders of the people, religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, priests, individuals who call the shots in Israel. And these two men who are standing there, well, let's just water this down a little bit. No, they don't do it, do they? They stay focused on Jesus focused on the message, but how did they do it? They did it because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. You notice that that's exactly where it begins. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that empowered him to say what he needed to say in the way he needed to say it. It is no different for you and me when we face the intimidation of our neighbors, our friends, our workers, our family, wherever we might find ourselves, in school, in the neighborhoods, it does not matter. When you stand up for Jesus, stand up for Jesus and stay focused on him. He will give you, the spirit of God will give you the right words to say at the right time. Let, don't worry about being offensive. Just let God give you the words because his spirit will reach into the hearts and lives of people in ways that you and I never can. I'm grateful for that. You see, Pentecost makes the coward courageous. Pentecost makes the coward courageous. And their courage becomes very apparent in the story. But you'll notice that their focus is all about Jesus. They mention, they mention the healing, okay? They mention the healing, but it's Jesus that is healed. It is Jesus that, has, that they have rejected. It is Jesus whom God raised from the dead. And it is Jesus who saves. Talk about focus. That was their focus. Uh, many of you know Jim and Charlotte Grahams, wonderful friends of this congregation of people. And gratefully, and I say that, I, and I say it humbly too, gratefully had the privilege of serving with Jim uh, in a church uh, setting. And dear, dear friends, Jim and I, uh, this was a bunch of years ago, we were out in the desert playing golf. As I know you can't imagine that if you know Jim Graham's golf. Oh my goodness, no. Jim and golf, they kind of go together. We were in the desert playing golf and we were at a, this tournament that we were a part of from a group of pastors from Northern California, a group of pastors from Southern California. It was a competition. It was really a lot of fun. Well, we're in the desert and so Jim and I just happened to be at the starter at about the same time. I've told this story before, but it's important to this to the message this morning. So we come to the starter and the starter says, well, what's going on? I said, well, well, we're this group of people. And she goes, oh, that's really cool. She says, you know, I've been thinking of, this is a little girl, she's probably early 20s. She says, 
You know, I've been thinking a lot about church recently. And I said, oh, that's, that's cool. So what do, you, what do you find? So I said, you go down this rabbit trail. I said, well, you know, let me, let us give you just a, here, here, think about this. I encourage you to, we encourage you to study the scriptures. Do, do you have a Bible? She says, no. Well, we'll get you a Bible. And we got her a Bible the next day. She said, just look at scripture and just, just keep your focus on Jesus. And so we did that. And then she would go start down this rabbit trail again, another rabbit trail. I said, no, 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 no. Focus on Jesus. And she'd go over here, just focus on Jesus. I don't know what the outcome of that conversation was, but I will tell you, I believe the conversation was spot on. It's not about all of this. Focus on Jesus. And you and I, when we focus on Jesus, when there are good, when, when good deeds are punished, as it were, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. It's such a powerful, powerful truth. In, in the defense that Peter and John make, this is the verse, it's so powerful. Salvation is found in no one else and there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the most exclusively inclusive statement ever made. Jesus is, as we read, John chapter three, verse 16, you know this, you know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I love this, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 2 and verse 21, and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other name given under heaven wherewith we can be saved. But it is available to everyone as we put our trust and faith in Jesus and confess him as Lord. Stay focused on Jesus. Stay focused on him. Words of a great gospel song that I grew up singing, many of you may have as well. Have you been to Jesus, the saving power? Are you washed in the blood of the lamb? That's really the question. Have you been to Jesus? That's what this is about. There's no other name, no other name given to Jesus, a given by which we can be saved except Jesus. A godly response when there's pushback is to stay focused on him. So let me leave this with you. If you travel, if you ever have the opportunity to travel to Paris, which I hope, I hope everyone has a chance at some point in their life to go to Paris. It's, we never, Marcy and I never thought we'd have the opportunity, we did. And it was, a, it was an amazing, it was just an amazing city, uh, incredible history. Well, in the center of Paris is Notre Dame Cathedral. And it, the, the cathedral burned in, I think it was 2019, uh, maybe 18, I, I don't remember the exact date. Really tragic that it burned. Uh, but it's magnificent. The cathedrals in Europe are magnificent. So I think it was built uh, 12th, I think starting like the 12th century, the 14th century, something like that. I don't know exact dates. It's a magnificent place. And it's really the center of faith in Paris. Okay, think about it. It's the center of faith. This amazing cathedral, kind of in the center of the city. Outside in the courtyard is a little tile on the ground. It's probably about this big. And it's called Point Zero. And you, it's kind of unassuming. You, you could possibly walk right over it and not even see it. You know, there may be, usually there's crowds sitting around this little tile. It says point zero. What is it? Well, it is believed that point zero, everything in Paris is measured from point zero. So all the distances are measured from there. In fact, even one Individual stated that all of France is measured from point zero. So if you travel to wherever, it's measured from that point. So here's what I want you to remember. At least at some point in the nation of France, point zero was faith. 
It was Christ. And everything started from there. Does that reflect your life? Is that your life? Does everything start with Jesus? You see, it's real easy to get focused on everything else. It's easy to get focused on all of the junk that's being pushed back at us. Are we focused on Jesus? Is that the place where things begin? Let Jesus, I'll say it this way, keep Christ as point zero. It's there everything in your life should be measured. It's from there. Keep focused on Christ. Third, embrace ordinary. It's extraordinary. You say, well, Embrace ordinary? What's that all about? Well, let's look, at the, let's look at the text. Acts 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. In, in, in the original language of the New Testament, that language, the word that's used is where we get our word. You ready for this? Idiot. Whoa. So it really wasn't a term of endearment. Okay, so, but it's important to understand that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And I'm just going to say it, embrace the ordinary, okay? I'll, I'll unpack that in a second. Ordinary men, now look at this, they were astonished, amazed, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man that had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in in this name. They called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish him because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. To be ordinary may not have been viewed as a compliment. There's no question. But to be ordinary is to have no distinctive features or to stand out in any way. It might be good when you're trying to just navigate in a time when you don't want anybody to see you. You know, I've done that. I can go out into public and hide from you. I can be right in the middle and hide from you. You know how I do that? I put on my hat. I put on my sunglasses. I walk around in my shorts, my t-shirt, and my flops. I can hide from you. You won't even know I'm there. Be ordinary. Okay? I get that. We all have those moments, right? Okay? But, but understand something. But when you are called by Jesus to change the world, which this is what happened to these guys, this ordinary seems anything but positive. Okay, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, okay? You're going to change the world, but you're ordinary, you're ordinary. Peter and John are described as ordinary. I believe, I believe the astonishment in this body of, of leaders, I mean, they took notice of their extraordinary courage, their confidence. They went back to the Old Testament and quoted the Old Testament for these guys, and they, they applied Jesus to this Old Testament prophecy. They talked about resurrection by, by which the Sadducees did not believe, but the Pharisees did. And so now they're creating conflict even in the midst of this group of leaders. I, what I might suggest is happening is that something extraordinary 
is here. And I wonder how might we embrace ordinary to the point of where it's extraordinary? Three things, three things. First is you, we must be with Jesus. That's how we turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. We must be with Jesus. They took note that they had been with Jesus. That's significant. That's significant. It's more than them just talking about him. There was something about Peter and John, the boldness that they displayed that said, these guys were with Jesus. They had been hanging out with Jesus. We thought we got rid of him, and now we got these guys to contend with. Understand, Exodus 34, 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of covenant in his law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. He had been with God himself, and there was a countenance difference. Paul would say this, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Look at this. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are, like a, are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. Understand, if you want to live like Jesus, you've got to be with Jesus. If you want to, if you want to be like Jesus, you have to, live, you have to be with Jesus. And it's apparent when you are and when we are. I can't, I can't overemphasize this. Your life and my life is different when we are with Christ. When we walk out into this community with, with the presence of Christ in us, I will tell you, people will take note that you have been with Christ. Second thing is that we must live by faith. We must live by faith. One demonstration of divine power is worth 10,000 theological or philosophical arguments. One, one demonstration of divine power don't limit the power of God, the appropriation of the name of Jesus Christ in your life only to this place. But believe when you walk outside this room, you carry with you the power of Christ resident in you because of his spirit. Yeah. Believe, don't fail to believe for miracles in your life and in your family, in your friends, in your neighborhoods. I'm telling you, when God shows up, our language, what we say is so immaterial. I mean, it's, Paul would say it this way. He said, when I talked with you or preached, I didn't try to prove anything by sounding wise. I simply let God's spirit show his power. I want to tell you, as I look around the room, I know many of your stories. There is a story of, of the miraculous in your life. Let the miraculous power of Christ and what he has done in you speak life to those that you encounter and that I encounter. You're a miracle walking. You're a miracle walking. The third thing is that we need, we must listen to God. Must listen to God. This phrase, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him, you be the judges. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? So it's a rhetorical question. They knew the answer. You're gonna listen to God. No matter, no matter how irreligious they may have been or how you know, sanctimonious on the one side and kind of hypocritical even, they would have probably answered, you gotta listen to God. They would have probably believed that. And so it's a, it's a very poignant question. But understand, that's a powerful question. And it sets the, apart the ordinary from the extraordinary. 
When you're extraordinary, you're, you're willing to listen to what God is saying. And so the question is, are you listening to God? What is God saying to you? You say, well, Gary, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is he, is he t- I mean, let me help you with this. God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? He speaks in so many different ways. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you tuning your ear to the spirit of God in your life? Are you listening? Are you listening? We must allow what God says to determine our choices, our actions, and our futures. That's exactly what Peter and John did. Who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to you? Are we going to listen to God? God says that we're going to continue to fill Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. You say no, we're going to listen to God. And because of that, their world changed. You are and I are direct benefactors of their obedience and listening to God. As is every person who's come to faith in Christ over 21 centuries. What is God saying to you? Acts, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people of filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the, Lord's, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar and paired with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now listen to this. Then I heard the Lord asking. Let me just pause. And I heard the Lord asking. Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. You may not have that dramatic vision, but I will tell you, God is asking the same question of us. When we come into a place where we yield ourselves to the Lord and we, and we begin to sing, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. God will be asking that same question of us. You and I are messengers to our families and our schools and our neighborhoods, our workplaces. And he's asking us, all of us, who will go? Who will go? He's speaking. Question again is, are we listening? Are we listening? We must listen to God. Yeah, no good deed goes unpunished, but a godly response is to brace ordinary. It's extraordinary. It's quite a story in Acts chapter 4. So we bring our time to a close. I really couldn't, being Father's Day, I really couldn't think as I reflected on this over the last day or so, I couldn't think of three things to challenge each of the men in the room, both young, not as young, and still not as young men in the room, with these three things. To live a life that honors God in every way. Three things. Remain true to the message of Jesus Christ. Dads and grandpas in the room, hear me. 
Implant Jesus, implant the message of Christ in those that God has given to you to influence, the closest ones. The second thing, gentlemen, stay focused on Jesus. You see, if you're true to the message, and then you stay focused on Jesus, you're not going to waver from the message. You're going to always come back to that. That's going to be the, the, the point zero of your life. So let me say it that way. Dads, grandpas, young and old, let Jesus be the point zero of your life. Everything starts there. And if it doesn't start there, don't start. Don't start. Don't do anything. Start there. And lastly, gentlemen, believe for extraordinary things in your life. These individuals were considered ordinary. And I think Peter and John, if they were here, say, we went, that's okay. Because filled with the Holy Spirit, we become extraordinary. Yeah, we might be nothing but fishermen in the eyes of these august leaders, but we are filled with the power of the living God. And because of that, we are extraordinary for his honor and glory. Gentlemen, God wants you to be world changers. He doesn't want you to take up space to be a world changer. Do what? Stay true to your message. Stay focused on Jesus and embrace the ordinary because it's extraordinary. Would you stand with me?